It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's The Mill with Anthony Weiner. Good afternoon. I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle, an hour every Saturday at 2, when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right, and we try to bring some context to the news of the week, or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. We have Kevin on the other side of the glass helping us out on the board. Great to have you along on this beautiful, beautiful day. I mean, it is ideal out there. The middle every Saturday from 2 to 3, and right after we're done here at 3 o'clock, Curtis and I, Curtis Lewa and I, are you guys familiar with Curtis Lewa? He's on from time to time here on WABC. Left versus right. You can hear us all across the globe on WABCradio.com, or you can always download the app where you can get this program, you can stream, you can get podcasts, lots of extra content, participate in contests, and always available as a podcast this show. Um, I'm at at Rep Wiener is my Twitter handle and WABC at gmail.com. Like I said, just a gorgeous day out there. Maybe the last shorts and T-shirt weather for the uh, for a while. It's a good day to be sitting and, and taking care of some things outside. Um, this is a great week in the Wiener house. So Jordan, my son, my nearly 11-year-old son, got a chance to meet his current idol, Ralph Macchio. He is the Karate Kid kid. And you might be saying, well, how did Jordan, you know, Karate Kid came out in the 80s. Ralph Macchio is 60 now. He looks amazing, but he's 60 years old because Jordan has been watching this show, uh, Cobra Kai, on Netflix, and he's really into it, so much so that he walks around the house and suddenly starts making karate chops, generally in my direction. And I reminded him, and I reminded him, this is how Houdini died. Someone randomly punched him in the stomach, and that was it. And Jordan reminds me that I'm not Houdini, and he's usually in front of me, and he says, get ready, I'm going to punch you in the stomach. But still, I'm just saying. Also big week, uh, Huma's out promoting her book, both and, and she appeared on John Katsimatidis' show last weekend. And naturally, it made national news. I mentioned to you last week that she had done the interview. I was not aware that what was said. And here's the thing about interviews that John does is it's kind of in the way that Imus Stern has this a little bit, that the way the conversations are very conversational and they don't seem to be kind of got-you conversations, it leads people to say things that maybe they wouldn't say in other audiences. And so Huma was asked kind of matter-of-factly by John, um, would you ever consider running for office? And she didn't kind of say no. She's supposed to say no. <laughs> She's supposed to say no. That's Anthony's job. I don't do that. She kind of left the door open, and that kind of made made some news. Also last week, I, uh, uh, John had um, Andrew Cuomo on, who's back. He's doing a podcast, and his podcast, if we're to be honest, it's a ripoff of what I'm doing. He says, I want to do the, I don't want to do left versus right. I don't want to do left or right. I want to talk about it. Anyway, he, he talked about his, his podcast a little bit, also said some interesting things. The thing about Andrew Cuomo, and I did, I spoke about him a couple of weeks ago. I don't want to delve too deeply into it. I did hear in the interview with John Katsimatidis, He's like, they should do this and that about bail reform. He passed, uh, he signed that. Um, Arthur Idala was, on his show pointed this out just yesterday. You know, for Cuomo to kind of be distancing himself from that, the problem is it's clear that Andrew Cuomo is using this as a step to come back. 
Um, so we'll see if any if that's worthwhile. I would just cut. I would if you have to do only one kind of non ideological partisan show or po- a podcast each week, make it mine. Make it the middle. And um, apropos of that, uh, we're soon going to be coming out with another with a podcast that is like the middle. We've decided to call it the Middle Unplugged. We're gonna. It'll be in your feed if you uh, a separate place for you to to sign up if you already subscribe to the Middle as a podcast, but. Keep an eye out for that. It's going to be similar to what we do here on, on Saturday. Some people have called in and said, wish you would be on a little more. And it's just more kind of so, sometimes things that are going on during the week just can't hold until Saturday. So we're going to be doing that. It's going to be available on the Red Apple Podcast Network probably next week. The idea is it's for land on Wednesday, uh, the middle of the week. Uh, this Thursday, pointed out by my friend Jeff, this Thursday was a sports equinox. It doesn't happen terribly infrequently. It's happened 27 times now where the NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, and in this case, Major League Soccer, all play on the same time. That's what makes this a great season for sports. Hockey is just getting underway. Basketball is just getting underway. I think the Nets want to forget their home opener. Um, But that sports equinox. And today, Garrett Cole is on the mound this afternoon to once again try to save the Yankee season. Up to now, the Astros have just looked like the better team. But um, we're going to talk about that a little bit on left versus right Curtis, as you know, has an ambivalent relationship with the Yankees. I am a Mets fan, so we can talk about it with a little bit of dispassion. Um, and uh, it's two weeks before the midterm election. Hey, before I get to that, I don't. I, I know Kevin's on the board, so he can't respond to this right away. But why is it when I come in here once a week on Saturday, I'm the one changing the water in the, the water cooler, that big, heavy thing? I mean, is it, could it possibly be that that's the only time it gets, if I didn't do it, it would just sit there empty the whole time? Or is this some kind of test for the new guy to see if when you get the empty cooler, you you replace it? I think it might be a Curtis thing. Whenever there's some seemingly prank on me, usually Curtis is behind it. Um, So two weeks before the midterm elections and this Tuesday, and I don't know what to say. It seems like the Democrats have peaked too soon. Our phone number, by the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I mean, we had this moment during the summer. Legislation had been passed. The Dobbs decision had come down. The issues of the moment, mass shootings, um, uh, energy choice, like these things had become the big issues. And the underlying fundamentals that usually benefit out the party that is not controlling the White House – um, uh, seemed to be showing that the Democrats were hanging around. And now it seems to be getting more back to what normally you would see in a, in a midterm election. So the Democrats are getting very nervous. Also this week, John Durham, does that mean anything to anyone here? The He was appointed to get to the bottom of the so-called Russia hoax. A couple of years now it's been going on to get to the bottom of the deep state conspiracy to undermine Donald Trump. He was appointed by Bob Barr. Uh, in the Trump administration, obviously, he's like a special prosecutor. He subpoenaed a grand jury. He has now, this week, lost every single case that he brought. And by the way, he didn't bring a single case against anyone in the FBI. So do you think the FBI was out to get Donald Trump? They didn't bring a single case. And just in contrast, Mueller won every case that he brought. So it looks like that's it. He's going to come out with a final report, but not a single person no, that's not true. One person pled to something, but basically nothing that went to trial um, resulted in a conviction. And just one more reminder, I don't want to go back in time, but 
the, a lot of this was about the Steele dossier that and uh, and the Steele dossier played no role in the FBI decision to investigate those ties. Even Durham says that. So uh, that's some of the stuff that's going on. And so here's the, the numbers of the week. Every week we like to highlight some of the interesting little factoids that have maybe not driven the news, but maybe some that have um, eluded notice. 1185 That's how many dollars, $1,185 a night the Secret Service was paid when staying um, – the Secret Service paid for rooms when staying at Trump hotels. That was an audit that came out this week, $1,185. That's a lot of money to be charging the taxpayers. That's when that was when staying at Trump hotels. Um, 69 days. That's how long the Chilean miners were stuck. Remember the the Chilean miners? That's how long they were stuck in their mine. 44 days. That's how long David Blaine hung in a box – over the River Thames in 2003. And 44 days, why am I telling you these things? To point out that they all lasted longer than Liz trusted as the prime minister. You know, you remember I did an episode a couple of, I guess about a month ago, about why I love the English system, because they can get rid of their leaders so much easier than we could. Because I s- said to myself that, and to all of you that we, you know, Democrats at the time, we would have loved to get rid of Biden if we could. And there have been times that I bet you Republicans wouldn't have mind tossing out um, their their leaders. Um, Liz Truss lasted only 44 days. To put that in some kind of context, the campaign that she waged was 58 days. And even those 44 days, I think there are like nine days or 10 days in there that there was no action. She couldn't do anything as prime minister because they were mourning for the other Liz that lost her life this year. Liz Trust and lose her life that, that, uh, in mourning for Queen Elizabeth. And, um, and you, but you know who this is good news for is the head of lettuce. And have you guys been reading about this? There was someone who created a Twitter handle and a picture and a live feed of a head of lettuce with a wig on it. And they said, will this head of lettuce last longer than Liz Truss? And the head of lettuce won. But if you think you have had a bad week, you could be Harry Cole and James Heal. Maybe it's Healy. And who are they? Well, they wrote a book about Liz Truss's rise to power that is due to be released in six weeks. (laughs) She didn't even last long enough for her instant biography to come out. So Liz Truss is out as prime minister. So now the the Brits have to come up with their... third prime minister inside of a year. And I have amazing, and I mean amazing, sources inside Great Britain. And here's what I have been told. Obviously, what's in the news today, Richie Sunak, the guy that came in second. Now, remember how the Brits choose their leaders, the the Republicans. The Tories choose their own leader, and then the people go out and decide, do I want Tory or Labor or someone else to run, and then whoever's the leader of the party becomes the prime minister. So Richie Sunak came in second when Liz Truss won just 44 days ago, 45, 46 days ago. He is running again. And who else is back in the news? He flew back from the Dominican Republic where he was on vacation. Boris Johnson also wants this. And so what's interesting about this process is that there's two ways that a leader of a party can be chosen. It could either be just the members of parliament that they, they get to decide, or in a, in, in a lot of cases, it goes to the entire 
Tory membership in the whole country. It's like a big convention, and basically Tory voters get to go out and vote themselves. If it's just up to Parliament, my sources tell me, Richie Sunak will probably be the next prime minister. But if it goes out to the people, Boris Johnson has a huge following among his party faithful, so he will probably get elected. So how are they going to decide which of those two paths they go? Well, it's something called the 1922 Committee because it was formed in 1923. Don't ask. I don't know why. That's chaired by this guy named Graham Brady. They're going to have to decide this. If I had a handicap, and when I say I, I mean this is what my British sources say, it'll be Richie Sunak, and he will, who knows how long he'll last. By the way, the thing about Boris Johnson to keep in mind, let's say they choose Boris Johnson. There is an investigating that's still going on. I think it's, it's called the, Bureau, the Committee on Standards to see if he broke rules during COVID. If it turns out that he did, they, he automatically is out. <laughs> so they could choose Boris Johnson. This committee could come down and say that he broke rules during COVID. It's, this investigation has been going on for months, and he might get thrown out, and we have to go about this all over again. So that's probably more than you ever thought you'd want to know about British politics. I don't want to dwell long on British politics. The one final number of the week that I want to talk about is actually three, 47. 47% of Americans believe that the midterm elections will be counted accurately. That's not a lot. That's less than half. Only 27% of independents think that, and even fewer, 25% of Republicans feel that way. And that is a problem. But it might not be the problem that we should be focusing on. And what I mean by that is that there really is, there, there should not be a lack of confidence that we can count votes properly. Because that part has never really been a problem, this idea that we can't figure out systems to do it. These things are administered by the 50 states. Usually both parties are at the table. They participate in the counting. Um, Each state has its own rules, so it's not like one hand of, you know, one person in Washington or one person in the deep state or anything like that. Each state has its own rules. There are some problems. Here and there, there are human error type problems. And even for that, there are checks and balances. And in the final analysis, there are audits, there are recounts. And in the final step, there are courts that can settle these disputes. And in the case of the 2020 election, there were 64 court cases with 115 different accounts, different allegations that were made. Um, Not a single one of them turned out to have been... um, turned out to be withheld, upheld by the courts. I mean, the, the count was done properly. However, when we get back from the break, I'll tell you a little bit more, just to so I put everyone's mind at ease, but a little bit more about that issue. But also, I will say the things we should worry about in this coming election. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Thank you so much for joining us in the middle. We're talking about the midterm elections and whether we can trust the results. And we'll have more when we get back. Baby, stood the singing, I was holding your arm, you were holding my trust like a child. Found a lot of trouble out on Avenue B, but I tried. Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. 77 WABC.
And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That was uh, Robert Gordon. Robert Gordon, who was probably the father of the rockabilly movement of the, I want to say, late 70s, early 80s. They kind of brought back that kind of music. We're going to feature some of some rockabilly revival in his honor. He was not a young man when he died. Let me just see if it says it here. Do you ever see, Kevin, how old he was? He, he passed away this week, and he was 75 years old, and um, he'll be missed. So we're talking a little bit about the elections, and the number I read at the, at the end there was like, the number of people who are concerned that the votes won't be counted accurately. And, and you know, we all have experience with voting here in New York. We were the last state in the entire country to go away from these old-fashioned um, machines that you that were manual machines. We were the last um, um, state, and I'm gl- I'm kind of glad, you know, because a lot of the kinks got worked out elsewhere. The, the the elements that most states have now that they're electronic reading of ballots, but there's also you don't have to just trust the software that there's a piece of paper that also can go back and be audited. That's what happened when they went back and audited Arizona under control of a Republican legislature audited in Michigan under control of a Republican legislature and um, audited in Wisconsin under control of a Republican legislature. In all those cases, they said that the counts were basically what they had been reported as. Now, there are sometimes errors. I remember when I ran for the city council on election night, they said I had only won by 125 votes. And and what happens is in those old machines with the handle – is each per the, you you click who you want when you throw the handle it gets added to the tabulation at the end of the night there's a key you open up the back and you can see what the counter is next to each person and in one of the districts someone had written down 14 for me when it was 114 so it added 100 votes so when people say that every count in the 2020 election was perfect no but there, the question is, is there ever enough to really change the results? There is some change. For example, in Arizona, when they went and did the audit, remember the cyber ninjas went in there, were hired by the Republican legislature to do this full audit. They actually found out that there were a couple of hundred more votes for Biden than they had than were originally reported. But it's not a problem. Counting is not a problem. And, you know, if you disagree, you can call me and I'll try to I'll try to explain my position on this. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, but there are other elements of this thing that are reasonable things to be concerned about. And I think there is middle ground here. You know, that's my favorite thing on the show called The Middle. There's some middle ground here because there's a lot of Republicans who are concerned that people who are not entitled to vote are voting. And a lot of concern on the part of people who are Democrats and independents also who say they are concerned that people who are legally allowed to vote are being prevented from voting. So in the first category are people who think that some forms of voting have too much fraud in them or it's too easy for someone to game the system or that people who are undocumented are going to be able to vote, something that I'm opposed to, by the way. The other group, the Democrats and the independents, say, well, we're concerned that you've taken away polling places, for example, or you have said we're not going to allow people to have write-in, to have um, absentee ballots as easily. Uh, there are some states, by the way, that have 100% mail-in ballots, and they've actually, actually had very good experiences with that. In fact, in Oregon, where a Republican may have a big upset this week, um, that's what they do there. So there is reason that bo- both of those sides have reasonable 
concerns. I think we should make very sure that we don't have anyone who's not supposed to vote voting. I think that's reasonable. I think having an ID law, I know that's controversial on my side of the aisle. I think that's reasonable to say there has to be some form of ID to make sure you are who you say you are. On the other side of the coin, any time that something is being done to take away someone's polling place, for example, or to make it harder to vote or harder to, you know, uh, you know, to to change up the way people had been been voting. I think that's a reasonable thing. I think that there's middle ground that we can try to solve those two problems. I think they're reasonable. I don't think they change necessarily. I don't think they means you can't trust the election. I just think that those are rules that we should we can have discussions around. But when people say and I was on with with Sid on Thursday. We had a conversation about this and Sid wants to fight. You know, it's funny. Sid wants to argue with me because he remembers the, you know, he and I've known each other for a while. You know, I can do it still. It's, I don't have my heart in as much as I used to, but he was basically going through all the reasons why he thought that the 2020 election wasn't on the level. And he threw in a whole bunch of things into this cocktail. And one of the things he said is said, Oh, so many more people voted than usually vote. Yeah. It was a really super high turnout election, like 60 percent turnout. Um, And that's why Donald Trump got more votes than he ever got. And the winner, uh, uh, Joe Biden, got more votes than he ever got. But, um, you know, that's not a reason to say the election is not a lead. Like you you, you, we have ballots for all these people. And we, you know, anyway, and when the exit polls were all also sort of giant turnout and a lot of people got to vote by mail who couldn't do that in the past. So there are lots of reasons why the 2020 election might have been a higher turnout. Um, then he said, I, well, if they, people would have learned about Hunter Biden, they might have voted different. Look, counterfactuals like that are always, you can always argue, I can argue that if the media spend, spend less time talking about Hillary's emails, it would have been different. Or if they paid less attention to my dopey laptop, it would have been different. You can always come up with counterfactuals. He did say something that wasn't right that I just have to have to. I, I clarified at the time. I should clarify it here. And I don't want to get sucked into a, a Hunter Biden vortex. I've done it plenty on this show. Um, I have said I agree that Hunt, that Facebook and Twitter. I don't like the way they handle this. Facebook didn't ban it. All Facebook said is that we're not going to promote it. Um, Six hundred thousand times at least that story was shared about Hunter Biden. And Twitter had a policy against releasing hacked emails and this was clearly a hacked email and so but i i think they made a mistake but to say that it wasn't reported it was reported lots and lots and lots of places um but if you want to say that i wish the media did a better job either on the left or the right and then maybe the election would turn out different that's very different than saying the election was was rigged that's very different and then the third thing that he did and i hear this a lot i hear it on tv also i've heard it on this show people have brought up the what about isms curtis did it with me a couple of weeks ago what about Stacey Abrams? She didn't concede. What about Hillary Clinton? She said that she thinks the election was illegitimate. What about Al Gore? Look, there are lots of reasons for losing candidates. I'm for losing candidates to be pissed about the outcome and to complain about it. Like Hillary Clinton, you know, she said, "I, you know, the, the Russians, the, the the Trump, the Trump intelligence agencies said that the Russians." Um, paid a lot of money to try to influence the election, Donald Trump. So she's saying that wasn't fair, and the way the laptop thing, yeah. Al Gore thought it was outrageous that they stopped the count in Florida in 2000. Um, but the difference is they all said, yeah, this is the final outcome. I'm not going to say the outcome. I, I wish I would have won. And they, but it's very different than saying that it, was a, that it was rigged or that it was stolen. That's a very different thing. And the Stacey Abrams one is particularly preposterous because oh, she never conceded. She gave a whole speech just basically about the word conceded. But she specifically said that night. I know I didn't win, 
And the courts have, and we've said that this is the final word because that's the way this country rolls. So um, actually, let's listen to that actual clip. Do we have that? I acknowledge that former Secretary of State Brian Kemp will be certified as the victor in the 2018 gubernatorial election. But to watch an elected official who claims to represent the people in this state baldly pin his hopes for election on the suppression of the people's democratic right to vote has been truly appalling. So let's be clear. This is not a speech of concession. Because concession means to acknowledge an action is right, true, or proper. As a woman of conscience and faith, I cannot concede that. But my assessment is the law currently allows no further viable remedy. So that's the thing. Anyone who says that wasn't a concession is just being intentionally deceptive. Yes, she said, I'm not, I don't believe that what happened. By the way, do you know what she was talking about with Brian Kemp? Brian Kemp at the time was the Secretary of State, okay? He was the guy in charge of running his own election. And what did he do? He took polling places out of African-American communities. He made, there were breakdowns of machines that oddly were targeted, that were only in certain areas. He did things that were outrageous. But what she said was the important thing, and that is, this is the way it goes. There's no other outcome. It, it is going to be certified, and that's the case. I mean, she was saying it was unfair, but that's very different than two years, three years, four years later saying that it was stolen or something like that. It wasn't. It wasn't. She lost. And, you know, look, if you get to set the rules and the refs, you know, we've we've all, as sports fans, we've all seen, like, Refs make terrible, terrible calls, but we don't spend the whole next week saying, oh, we didn't lose. We say next week, like, boy, that, here's, here's why I think that was, that was wrong. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. But I want to make one point here about, I mean, I think there's a lot we can agree upon on these, on these issues. But to say the election was stolen or the results were manipulated by some giant unseen conspiracy is un-American. It's unpatriotic to say that. Because our entire system is predicated on the idea of people voting, and that's how we decide who represents us. If you don't believe in the – like you're saying, I'm not going to accept the outcome. There was this – a candidate for governor in Arizona this week was asked, and she said, I'm only going to accept the outcome if I win. Now, she – yesterday I saw that she changed her view, and she dialed that back. Cause she, I mean, I'm sure. But, you know, because of the – The only one who would have any reason to perpetuate that story is to make people not have faith in voting. And why am I bringing this up this week? It's because the the votes that you're going to cast two weeks from Tuesday are going to be counted. The person who wins will win. The person with the most votes will win. If there's any disagreement about that, it will go to a process that's articulated in the laws of the 50 states. It will go to courts, and then the courts will make a decision, and then we have to suck it up and abide by it. Why? Because that's what being an American means. We have our results, and then we abide by them. And I think one of the reasons that um, Biden won by, what was it, nine, I haven't written down here somewhere, by nine million votes last time, is because there was so much skepticism about things like mail-in ballots and so much skepticism. Because remember, it was months and months before the election that already people were talking about it's it's not on the level. I want people to go out and vote. I don't want anyone who's not supposed to be voting to vote. But I believe that whatever you 
you think, whatever you think about the candidates and the New Yorkers, Hochelands, Elders, to be very close. I think that too many people have been led to believe that the system is not on level and they're not going to vote. And that's a bad thing. That's a bad thing for our democracy. And the true patriots say, whatever you believe about the candidates, go out and exercise your right to go out and vote. Because to not do that, to simply say there's some other way, there is no other way. We have signed up for this system. We vote. We have rules of voting. We have courts to adjudicate whether or not everything is on the level. And the, the courts, they basically get the final say. They're the referees. Um, and I can say I don't like some of the things they've come up with. You've heard me talk about some of the Supreme Court decisions from this term. But that doesn't mean don't participate. So I hope that that is a common sense middle position um, that to to go out ticked off, object, think that something is not right, but there's a process to adjudicate these things. And we agree to abide by those processes. And just to get back to the original point, you know, if you think that it's not getting counted correctly, you've got no evidence of that. I mean, we have case after case after case of of people bringing suits in this last election. And and we have case after case of um, of legislatures, Republican legislatures, going out and doing audits. The, the instances of votes just not being counted correctly are very basically non-existent. So that part I'd like to put aside. But the other things that I've mentioned, the other things, how we make sure that information is getting out there, how we make sure that the people who are supposed to vote – are are made as easy as possible and people who are not supposed to vote don't vote. Totally reasonable, totally reasonable things to ask. Totally reasonable things to be concerned about. Now, I don't think, and and I think, by the way, if we do a little from column A, make it tougher for people to vote who are not eligible to vote and do some things to make as easy as possible for those eligible to vote, I think then you have something we can all agree upon. Because I don't think anyone believes in their heart of hearts we're a better country when fewer people vote. We think we're a better country when more people vote, so long as they're eligible, so long as they're allowed, so long as there's no that there's no violation of any rule. When we get back, though, the board is just bonkers on this issue. I thought it would be. I'm glad it is. We are here in the middle. I want to hear what you have to say. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. And we'll go to the phones right after we get back. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. And 
welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's the Stray Cats. Tribute to Robert Gordon today. Robert Gordon passed away, the father of the Rockabilly revival, and the Stray Cats were probably the biggest act of that revival. You know, Saturday when we're on, you know, we lead right into, Curtis and I lead right into kind of the music portion of the weekend. One of the great innovations that that John and Margot Katsimatidis did here is they took, they made it together, the two traditions of WABC, the talk side and the music side. And so Curtis and I talk a lot about music. And as you know, I, um, I like to talk about music also. It's a great song. So we're talking about um, the elections coming up. It'll be two weeks on Tuesday. Data shows that a lot of people have concerns. And it's funny, when you read some of these statistics about elect, about democracy under threat, and it's a Roystadt test. The left says democracy under threat because they see January 6th, they see the, the, the concerns about, you know, people d- denying that the election was on the level. And on the right, Republicans say, I don't believe the election was legitimate. I believe that it that it, that it was it was stolen. So it's funny, although they disagree about this is why polling can be deceptive. While they disagree about what the def, the terms mean, there is concern about the the threats to our democracy. So let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Mike, you're first up today on the middle. Thanks for calling. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Mike. Yeah, so I, I was just wondering about your opinion on the the old uh, adage. Uh, the greatest threat to democracy is an underformed electorate. I don't know who said that. You, I know you do. Well, I think that there is, you know, it's funny that you asked this question, Mike, because I had this somewhat rhetorical conversation on, a, on an episode of Keys to the City where, where we were talking about the idea is getting more people voting, good or bad, because in some ways I want f- – you, know, you, you can argue we want fewer people who are super well-informed on the issues to be making these decisions. So I think I'm somewhere in the middle. Obviously, I want a well-informed electorate. Um, but I think an imperative is to have everyone feel that they're invested in the outcome, so I want to have more whenever possible. I think a high-turnout election is an election that people are paying attention to. Um, That's where the ballot harvesting comes in. When you say ballot harvesting, what do you mean, Mike? Uh, so the Zuckerberg thing is not really real. This uh, yeah. Zuckerbucks, I mean Zuckerbucks. Yeah, you, you said ballot harvesting and then Zuckerbucks. That's not a complete thought. What do you mean by ballot harvesting? Well, he put millions of dollars into the last election to, you know, uh, hire people to go to uh, old age homes and. The paper ballots were filled out for them. And maybe, okay. you don't, maybe you don't know that. No, 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 no. That, you see, that that's what that's what Mike makes, and I appreciate you calling Mike Call again. Mike makes the exact point in a way that I was hoping someone would make. It's these vague kind of catchphrases and little half-truths about things. I think he means that one of the things that Zuckerberg, who, by the way, is the uh, CEO of Facebook, was accused of as putting a finger on the scale for uh, Democrats. Now, by the way, we Democrats believe that he put a finger on the scale in 2016 by doing nothing to crack down on on Russian disinformation. And then he says, well, ballot harvesting and people filling out ballots. There is 
a clear interest in this country to kind of throw up a lot of dirt and just to kind of make an element of confusion. Ballot harvesting, as some people have alleged, there's only been one real case of ballot harvesting that has gone on. It was a Republican uh, in North Carolina in the 2018 cycle who was literally collecting ballots from people under false pretenses and then filling them out for them. And he got caught, got prosecuted. Um, the candidate that was uh, won under the uh, well, uh, cheating, there was a new election, and it got straightened out. But ballot harvesting, having someone take their take someone else's ballot to, the, to, to, to a mailbox is not ballot harvesting. That's not ballot harvesting. That's uh, perfectly permitted, and even to the extent that someone tried to do it uh, for someone else, think about how difficult that, that might be to pull off, and there's no evidence in all of the cases that came up in 2020 that that happened. Um, George in Mount Sinai. Go ahead, George. Hi. I'm an ex-court clerk. I'm retired. I didn't, I didn't get fired or anything. I, I knew your dad from Brooklyn Courts, and I was a Midwest high school guy, but I'm older than your mother, so I didn't have her as a teacher. <laughs> I'll get to the point. I used to have to go down with a Supreme Court judge from Queens to a place, it Vly Place, it's by the 59th Street Bridge. It's very hard to get to. So if somebody in Queens was denied voting at their uh, polling place, if they could get, get, they'd get an affidavit and come down and come before a judge. I would, you know, I would do the read it over and show the judge. And the judge, he was a great guy, and he's passed away, so I don't want to use his name. He, he used to say, listen, if the, and if it was iffy, if this person took all the time to get down here, and it wasn't a great neighborhood after 5 o'clock at night, if he took all their time to get down here and uh, he let them vote. Now, what I'm – so there are people that may vote who should not have vote. But as far as the count, I believe from the bottom of my heart, by and large, except there's a mistake, it's honest. But the thing is, how do you stop – people completely you'll never stop it completely there'll be always an error here or there how do you stop people who should not vote in mass quantities uh that should not vote i don't i don't have the answer to that it's beyond my we stay in civil service beyond my pay grade well so i appreciate it i appreciate george and i and my dad listens so i'm sure he he sends his regards back let me let me tell you what george is describing it, that we have an absentee ballot law it's actually changed since the time that george had done this we have an absentee ballot law that said you've got to apply to get an absentee ballot a certain amount of days in advance of the election. But what happens if you have to go out of town at the last minute? What happens if you simply are uh, you you it's unavoidable that you um, that you can't get an absentee ballot and you're not going to be around for election day? There used to be a system. It still exists today, by the way. It's just a little easier now where you can go down to the Board of Elections in person and basically fare out, fill out an attestation that say that I am not. Um, I am on uh, – I didn't get a ba- an absentee ballot in time. I want to now vote. Th- those pile of votes go into a separate box, a separate place. And if that – the first thing they do is anyone who tries to vote that way, if they voted on the machine, that vote is torn up. So the first thing they do is make sure that you don't vote twice. It happens. The idea is to try to make sure that that person – but by the way, when they come down, they have to be on the registration rolls. In order to be on the registration rolls, they have to be a citizen. They have to an address. They have to prove their, their address, et cetera. And the, but the final thing that George said is how do you stop people from not voting who aren't allowed to? Well, you can't vote if you're not on the voting rolls, and you can't get on the voting rolls unless you are eligible. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible for you to say that I am, that you're not. I just it's not something that has 
has um, has has been a problem before. And remember the checks and balances that exist in this. First of all, when you go down to vote, you have inspectors who are half Democrat, half Republican, who are looking over each ballot. Secondly, you have candidates who, if a, a vote is close, they're going through every single person to make sure they're eligible. To vote. And when I was running for office, you would take every single person that signed your petition to get on the ballot and signed your opponent's petition and check each and every person to try to figure out if there was any kind of fraud or malfeasance involved because that's a way to knock the other guy off the ballot. There are checks and balances here. I mean, it's a reasonable concern. That's why I think it's something that we should address here in the middle. Like, you do want to make it. And if there's a problem, we should try to stamp out that problem. The problem is, with this problem, is that there has not been demonstrated to be a problem. Um, but I really appreciate George. George is right. There are many different ways to go out and do to, – to kind of vote. Um, and voting absentee is an important part of uh, – an important part of things. Uh, Philip in Smithtown. Philip, you're next up on the middle. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I know I'm not going to convince you. That, uh, you have your, your point of view, and I have mine. I just have a short question for you. The Georgia uh, elections, they they saw those four people after hours putting ballots through the machines. Uh, no one questioned those people. There was a woman there that testified in her 36 years or 30 years as a poll person, never seen a mail-in ballot that wasn't folded. Tell me how thousands and thousands of mail-in ballots that were not folded ever were mailed in and mailed back. George, uh, uh, Philip, can I ask you, what is your source for this? Uh, I I, I read and watch the newspapers and I watch it on TV. Uh, Did you read read the report of the Republican – State uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, who did a report on and after the audit of the Georgia election that addressed this. Listen, it doesn't. My father used to say, Philip, it doesn't matter who you vote for; it's who counts the votes. No, I understand, and that's that's a that's a that's a punchy thing to say. I, I that's that's clever, but the the problem is with these things is that you have people whose interest it is to lie about it. The Georgia Secretary of State, a Republican who did an audit that was funded by the Republican state legislature in Georgia, who looked at these things, decided and determined that they were bunk. I mean, part of the challenge here is what do you do when people make stuff up? Who do you trust to get to the truth of it? You don't have to trust me. You can go online right now and look at the report of the Georgia Secretary of State where they looked at all of these allegations. There were 69 lawsuits with 114 different allegations in six different swing states do you know how many of them were found to be factual? None. No, I don't. But, None. Okay, Zero. Well, By I, Republican I, I, and, and audits in Republican states. Go ahead, Phil. Like I said, I wouldn't – I could argue with you. I'm not going to change your mind. It's but, not – but no, hold on. Dude, can we agree that's, that, that a fact is not something that you change by having a conversation about it? It just is? Well, not, not, it's, it's where you're getting your, your information from. You're telling me that they said they didn't, they didn't find any evidence. How about the 51 people that signed it after David against Trump about the Russia uh, problem? And, and we found that there's no evidence of Russia. Philip, that's not what the 51 people say. You see, you see, Philip, this, and I appreciate you calling, and I really do want you to call back. That's not what it, you're referring to something else. Now, you're referring to the letter that that uh, 50 some odd intelligence officials made about reasons for us to be very suspicious about information that comes out of October, in October of an election, 
and they said this looks very, very suspicious. And you know what? It did. It doesn't mean that it wasn't right, but the fact that it came in October, no one was allowed to look at it. What they said was right. They didn't say that it, that it was, they, they said it was reason to be suspicious, and they were right. When we come back, we'll have some more calls on this, and we also got an interesting letter from a listener just now. I'm going to read it to you. Is the middle with Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC. So welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. Coming back with uh, a little more Stray Cats. I think we had one more song queued up for Rock. I can't remember what we had. Anyway, so. I just got this I got this email and it starts the way most emails to me are. Wiener, how could you be such a jerk? And I'm I'm like, okay, that is usually the said. What about the middle by Jimmy Eats World? And I had no idea what they were talking about, and then I remembered, and this is really Kevin's fault, because as the grand poobah of this show, he should have flagged this before. Apparently So let's bring down let's bring down um, stray cats. Apparently, there is a song called The Middle, and not only is it called The Middle, it sounds a little bit, it's got lyrics that kind of work for the show, and I really should know who it is because it's one of these punk revival guys. Do we have The Middle by Jimmy Eats World? So this song sounds vaguely familiar. Let it keep playing for a second. So it has everything that you would want in a show opening song. It's got a little catchy riff at the beginning. It's somewhat hip. I, it's exactly, I got to tell you, that's why the listeners to this show are so great. This is, this is an exit. Now, we're not going to change. We currently use a song called New York, New York by Ryan Adams. Um... That song is, not only is it about New York, but the video for it was famously uh, done on on September 9, 2011, uh, 2001. So it was right, it's this beautiful video about, and it, it features the Twin Towers. Anyway, but this is great. We'll, so we'll start to use this a little more into our, our, our listener who, who called in that suggestion, who wrote in that suggestion. I disagree with the part about me being a knucklehead or an idiot or whatever they said. Um... But, uh, but yes, Jimmy Eat World would be great. We'll try to use that more. It's called The Middle. That's what this show is called. We're talking about problems with the election, concerns about the fidelity election. And let's go to a few more calls before we go to uh, Left versus Right with Curtis. We've got Peter in Long Island. Peter, go ahead, buddy. Yes, I listen to the radio a lot. And some woman was on repeatedly November and December 2020 from Wayne County, Detroit. And she had somehow forced a paper ballot count and got her candidate 1,400 more votes, so he won. The paper ballot also gave Donald paper ballot count also gave Donald Trump 3,000 more votes and took 3,000 votes away from Biden. <laughs> how did how did a uh, how did an optical reader take a vote away from Biden? 
Or take a vote they away from counted Trump. counted the paper ballots. They had people counting the paper oh, ballots. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. So Michigan was one of the states that the Republican state legislature, supporters of the Republican Party, did a full audit of the ballots there. And you can do them because you have three things. You have the count on the machines. You have the paper that goes through the machines, and you have the registered voter list. They did that audit, and they found out that the results on Election Day were correct, that they found no errors. And they were looking for them. When the Arizona state legislature paid the cyber ninjas, you may have heard that expression, to go out and do a full recount of every ballot in Arizona, they too found that the results were the same. They actually found that there was one instance of one machine where it was recorded incorrectly and actually Biden gained some votes when they did the recount. The point that I'm making is that these things have now been completely litigated, audited, and counted. Um, and you can get out. You don't have to listen. You don't have to, to take it from me. There was a report called Lost Not Stolen. You can go take a look at it. It was published by a bunch of Republican lawyers that went through every state and every lawsuit and gave the outcome. So it's not just me saying this. Um, Next, we have Jacqueline in Brooklyn. Jacqueline, go ahead. Anthony, you made a statement before that was incorrect. You said that uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook were instrumental in helping uh, Donald Trump during the 16 election. Actually, Zuckerberg himself, during an interview that was publicized on national TV. Um, I think it was with Joe Scarborough. Don't hold me to that. I don't remember for sure. But he admitted, and also the FBI published information, that that Russian disinformation was completely false. It was a narrative that was made up. So you you have stated uh, a statement that was incorrect. All right, you've got three different things in there. One, you said Zuckerberg said in, in an interview that the Russian information, disinformation was incorrect. No. What he did was he admitted that along with the FBI, they basically colluded together. No. Okay. Here's what he said. Here's what he said. He was on it was on an interview with Joe Rogan. And here's what he said. He said that when they got into this was in 2000 um, in 2016, when they were trying to figure out what to do with this Hunter Biden information, They were warned, not about Hunter Biden, they were warned generally, be on a high lookout towards the end of the election that we don't have the same problem we had in 16, that there would be a lot of Russian disinformation coming on the transom. And he said that was one of the reasons they reacted the way they did to the Hunter Biden story. So that's one thing that, that they said. The FBI under Trump, the intelligence agencies under Trump, said the same things. They were saying, look, this happened in 16. It may happen again in 20. And he said that that influenced his decision on how to handle the Hunter Biden information. And I have to tell you, Jacqueline, if you or me, if we were running a newspaper or running a a website, we would have also been all ready for some kind of October surprise. And the Hunter Biden thing, let me remind everyone this again. And I covered this, I think it's on the second episode, the Hunter Biden thing. The Hunter Biden laptop and all the contents of it were not shared with any media outlets except for the New York Post. They made a decision, whoever was disseminating this information, whether it was smart or not, they said to NBC, 
They said to Fox and they said to the Wall Street Journal, we won't share you this information. So how are they supposed to write stories? Now, they wrote stories about the New York Post, but this whole idea that there's some sinister cover-up, no, they were behaving in a very suspicious way. They were behaving in a way that made people believe, hey, this might not be on the level. And then you combine it with the idea that the story was about a laptop that was left in a blind man's shop in Delaware. Take our word for it. It's legitimate. And by the way, we're not going to let you look at it. You just have to take our word for it. And the one guy that the FBI interviewed about, that this guy Bobolovsky, who said, I've got information proof that Joe Biden was involved, he turned out that he had nothing. The FBI, the New York Post, uh, the Wall Street Journal, and NBC all said, we're not going to run this stuff. We don't believe you. People, you know, look, I guess this is the summary. You can, you, you can look at things and try to find the most dangerous and most pernicious explanation. But then there's something called Occam's razor, and you can Google it. But basically the theory of Occam's razor is that when you're trying to solve a problem, when you're trying to figure out why something is or interpret a set of data, you take the most obvious, reasonable, fewest moving parts explanation as possible. In order to put a fix in, in order to throw an election, you need people in 50 states, thousands and thousands and thousands of them. You need people acting in a sinister way that's against their business model. Remember the business model that Facebook and Twitter are in. They love controversy. They love people. So, it, you know, sometimes people just get stuff wrong. And no one knows that more than me. James Comey slammed the brakes on an election, violated every rule in the book by saying, hey, we have Anthony Weiner's laptop. You know what was on it? Nothing. He had to admit nothing. Seven emails after he said thousands and thousands, where it turned out to be seven. And of those seven, they were only classified after the fact, and there were things like Hillary's schedule and stuff like that. The system is not broken. Our confidence in it is shaken. And so what do you do? You go out, you vote. You, you gather information. I gave you some citations this week. If you want to go out and look at the document, Lost Not Stolen, it's by a bunch of lawyers. It goes every state, state by state, every allegation. If you want to go listen to episode two where I went over the stuff on the, on the Hunter Biden laptop, you can find the information. I encourage you to do it. Those of us in the middle, we believe in this country. We believe in our elections. I think we're going to get our clock <laughs> as Democrats, but I believe in the election. I'll accept the results. I'll be here to talk about them next week on the middle. Stay tuned for Left versus Right with Curtis Newell.